don't put this in, but this is my Sophie's choice. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have thoughts, but I want Sam to go first. Why don't you want me to put that in? That's drama. Okay, that can be the cold open. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, that's exactly what I was thinking. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Showdown 2023. The same musical theater bracket podcast you love, just with a new name. This year, it's all about Tony performances. My name is Alex Schneidman. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Showdown. Oh, we have eight. uh, uh, Yeah, we have eight songs left, and we have two people here to shepherd us from eight songs to four songs. It is the quarterfinal, the Elite Eight. Uh, Sam and Mariah are here, and I'd love for them both to introduce themselves. Sam, you're first on my screen, so so give it to us. I'm so happy to be here. I am Sam. I am a longtime listener of this podcast, <laughs> first time panelist, <laughs> if that's what I'm calling myself today. Um, I am a playwright, and I live in New York City. But I think most important to note is that I was an adolescent in Tampa, Florida, watching the Tony Awards, wanting very much so to work in theater when I grew up. So that's also a perspective that I am bringing to the pod today. Excellent. And Mariah, who are you? Hello, everyone. I'm Mariah, a revered judge of the podcast, retired child model, aspiring MFA candidate um and I'm also thrilled to be here um because I've just been quietly listening all all season which has not been the case in the past um so I'm excited to as Rosie Jonetti has already said let loose upon um this episode of the podcast oh man we love letting loose on this podcast (laughs) Um, although we're, we're team Anitra here, uh, or at least I am. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we're just going to get right down to it. Um, one of these four matchups is, is locked already. The public voted with such, uh, vigor and verve, um, to vault one of these songs to the next round. And I know Mariah has a guess, but Sam, do you have a guess which matchup it is? I've been looking after you said that and I can't quite figure it out. I could make an argument for all of them, to be honest, but I think that's my personal bias because I do think I lean one way or the other pretty strongly with all of these matchups. Mariah, which one do you think it is? I have a guess that it's one of two. The one I hope it is, is Dream Girls versus Matilda in favor of Dream Girls. It is Dream Girls in favor of, uh, of Dream Girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it won 77% of the public vote, including the Instagram vote. Um, and, uh, Matilda had, had a pretty astonishing run. Um, but it is time <laughs> to say goodbye, uh, and, uh, send dream girls to the next round. Can we still talk about it a little bit? Uh, we can eulogize, which is to say we can, we can talk briefly. <laughs> Um, 
the thing that I'll I'll briefly say about Matilda is that when we did the bangers year, I said that this was one of my favorite musical theater bangers ever, but I was specifically talking about this Tony's performance. Um, I love that halfway through Revolting Children, um, clearly adults who were meant to fill out the ensemble <laughs> hunch over and come in and pretend that they are children. Um, I love that there's the one hand mic for the one kid who gets to stand above everyone. But I will say, this was the thing I was going to say, if there was a fight, which after I really watched it too, I was like, there is no fight. I think that's something that would have been really nice and that if you want to watch this, you should. They used to do this promo performance for Matilda where they had the four Matildas sing all of Naughty together. And I think that this is actually like, revolting is like the best part of it. The rest of it is kind of lackluster. But that is a really beautiful promotional performance with the four girls. And I kind of wish they had done that instead of the stupid Miss Honey part. Um, and now that I'll never get to talk about Dream Girls, all I have to say is that if you're ever sad and you need something to lift your spirits, you should YouTube Filipino children under the age of 10 on Filipino national television doing karaoke battles of I'm not telling you because multiple exists. <laughs> That is truly, truly something I will seek out now. Um, <laughs> the only, the only, the only thing I'll say in my eulogy to Matilda is just a big shout out to the Child Wranglers who wrangled those kids not only during its Broadway run but um, that Tony Award performance in particular. I cannot imagine what it would be like to wrangle that many children amidst a production as wild and unruly as the Tonys. Well, speaking of wild and unruly children at the Tonys, um, our next matchup is between Fun Home 2015 and In the Heights 2008. Panelists, judges, arbiters of truth, what say you? Sam, you go first. Yeah, I want to. What I'm going to say is that um, I've been thinking a lot about this this morning as I was preparing to sit down and talk about these matchups, which is there are some shows and performances on this list that I was the right age to watch as a young child. Um, and the dopamine rush that I get from watching some of these performances is just absurd. So I have to like hold that in my mind, knowing that when I was you know, redacted age here watching <laughs> watching In the Heights from my TV screen. Like that also then became part of how I, I wanted to continue making theater. So I'm going to acknowledge that off the top. Um, I'm also going to say that KO's voice is bonkers. Like no one can sing like they can. My eyes like immediately teared up. And I think part of that is the dopamine rush, but part of it is just their like, sheer ability to perform and reach through a screen which is something I was also thinking about when thinking about these Tony performances how are you reaching through the television set and getting to the parts of America that don't come and see theater because they don't live in New York yeah um I'll say that like so something I am sort of judging them on because I have been thinking 
about like, okay, what makes a good Tony's performance? And everyone's really been talking about the commercial aspect of it. Like, okay, how does showing this get people to buy more tickets? Was that the best choice? Is it the most um, representative of the show? But something I think that we haven't really been talking about is that like, also what makes a Tony performance good is that it is in the context of like, it's not in the context of the show anymore. It is in a theater that is completely different than the theater it was performed in. It is people who have are having their Broadway debut performing in front of like Patti LuPone and like all, and Bernadette Peters and all these people they've watched for years and performing on national television. Like that's a completely different performance context. And I also think like because I was like a stupid homeschooled kid. I didn't know that the Tonys were like, I I thought that Broadway shows went on for like three weeks and the Tonys were just like, here are the best things that happened. <laughs> and obviously that was like dumb and not true. But I also think there's part of it that like the to- a way you can do the Tonys is choose how are we going to showcase and celebrate the best parts of the show if we don't end up getting award or those people don't end up getting award for those things. And I actually think that both of these shows do a really great job of picking representative material that pulls people in that also celebrates the people who, especially now, like when you watch that in the highest performance and you get to see like KO before they got the big West side story, Tony and like Christopher Jackson and Anthony Ramos, like that is a really cool moment. And I, I think that the, in the Heights performance is a, is a really great and also like a very good cut of that song. That's like pretty seamless. There's all a lot of parts that aren't in there, but you get to see a mix of moments that do bloom later in the show. And that it it's a number that's pretty representative of all the different beats of the show, like chaos, like sincerity and like the fun of no me diga and like all of these things that are, very simply theatrical, but reached through the TV. Now, that being said, I think that I am pushed towards Fun Home. One, because I watched it in bed this morning and I did start crying. But also because, like, thinking about that context thing I was talking about, I think that this, like, obviously this, this Radio City is so different than the theater that, that show was performed in. But they distill the elements of that show and of that song specifically so well, like taking the time to do the little, little scene before. And like, I think Eli mentioned this, but like Sidney Lucas, like hears the music coming in and like, and like doesn't wait another beat and like still does this like flawless, really simple performance. And the way that it's shot actually gives you a lot more information about what you would have seen before and after like ending the shot with her father like there are so many simple choices that actually make it incredibly representative of the show but also like there are other number like there are other numbers like fun home or like the uh, even like numbers in the beginning of the show that I think would have been really fun and really commercially successful and told you a little bit about the show but like don't have the heart of the show and this was a huge swing I think like I think if I was an adult in this room I would have been like I don't know if this is going to go so well 
But that is also why it is such a memorable Tony performance because it was such a big swing and like a big swing with a lot of intention. And like, I think the In the Heights performance is like a great performance, but like now that we're getting to the nitty gritty of it, like there's so much about the Fun Home performance that I I really, really, really love. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about how the Fun Home performance is in a lot of ways an adaptation of an adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's doing a lot in terms of you've got to move a comic book into a theatrical space, but then you have to have the ability to then zoom out and say, okay, we have cameras, we have the ability to shoot from different angles. How do we make this look not only representative of the piece of musical theater that people would come see or that people have already seen, but also how do we not lose the comic book aspect of it? And something about when she turns around and is looking at the camera, but if you think about the camera, you're like looking at an older version of herself feels a lot like looking from one panel of a comic book of like a page of comics into another panel, which is something I really love in comics too. the ability to tell a story like through the boundaries of the actual like hard lined boundaries of the panel itself. Um, I think it just does it so well in a TV adaptation of a musical theater adaptation of (laughs) tragic comic (laughs) comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to vote. Okay. As if I was going to say anything else. Um, Sam, you are first on my screen. You have five votes. Where do they go? This is like a lot of head versus heart for me, which is wild because I have so much heart invested in Fun Home too. Um, I think I'm going to give three to Fun Home and two to In the Heights. Mariah? I'm slinging five to Fun Home, baby. Hey. <laughs> Sling in five. <laughs> what? Oh my god. What? Uh, I love you so much. <laughs> oh my god. He was there. Oh, oh my god. Wow. Okay, so uh in the heights won this public vote. Whoa. Considerably. Considerably. Uh it was it won 61%. To 39%. It needed only three of your 10 votes to go to the next round. And Fun Home needed eight. And Sam, you gave two to In the Heights. Mariah, you gave zero to In the Heights. (gasps) So Fun Home advances to the next round. um, Alex, we have to move. We're getting doxxed. We're going to get doxxed. (laughs) Where it'll meet Dream Girls. Um... This, I... <laughs> I need to tell you, like, as much as listeners know that I love this fun home performance with every molecule of my being, Mariah and I did not collude to advance not collude. No. fun home to the next round. Maybe I no. shouldn't even say that to him to make the <laughs> implication, but... Oh my God. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Wait, that's crazy though. Whatever. That is crazy. That's why, that's why we're here to listen. That's why we're here to listen. That's the game. That's the game. Wow. 
Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> holy. We did say, we did say we were here to be a, a little chaotic. Right. That we was have, chaos. We have two more matchups and they could get even more chaotic. The next one is between Spring Awakening 2007 and Hamilton 2016. Where are we going, friends? Um, I'm your demographic for this Spring Awakening performance. I'm going to come out and say it. Um, I lived outside of New York City. I was a theater kid with a strong emo bent. I still am. <laughs> I'm going to acknowledge that right off the bat. Um, and my deep ongoing crush on John Gallagher Jr. Uh, continues to this very day. Um, so I'm, I'm batting hard for Spring Awakening. And then also thinking about Hamilton and thinking about, um, thinking about this performance in a vacuum is hard for me because the country itself has shifted and our collective reckoning with the country has shifted and my individual and ongoing reckoning with all of these things has shifted, but also I watched that YouTube video of Lin-Manuel at the White House so many times. So there's a lot of heart going on in, in this particular <laughs> matchup for me. <laughs> Mariah? Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'm just going to run through my list. <laughs> Hit them. Um, I'm going to start by talking about Hamilton. Um because I do want to hearken back to what Rosie Joe was talking about in that this performance for me, and I'm someone who really, really loved Hamilton when it came out, whose opinions of it are evolving as I change my opinions about theater and the climate of America. But like, I remember watching this, being really enthused, like really excited to see, like, it was, I know we keep bringing it up, but literally every time they went to commercial break, they were like, Hamilton's coming, Hamilton coming up next. And here's this person from, Ham it was Hamilton night. It was not the Tonys. And it was like the big thing of the night. And I remember watching it. And this was before I've seen the show twice in Chicago. I, and they were both, both instances were after this performance. And I remember being really excited for this part because it was like okay I get to see this part of the show for this cast I'm probably not going to see for like little bootleg clips I've heard and blah 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 and they did Yorktown and it just was like a little disappointing and I was trying to figure out like what it was about it and I realized this morning that the way I would phrase it is it felt like a reunion performance when actually like the beating heart of the show was happening in that moment. And I think, like, to me, I wouldn't have chosen Yorktown. I understand why they chose Yorktown. It has a lot of the, like, log lines that people were cared a lot about. Like, the immigrants, we get the job done. Gonna be a new nation, gonna be my son. History has size on you, blah, 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 blah. It's a number where we get to see. It's one of the only numbers where we get to see everyone at some point, like, in the original choreography. Um, and I do love that Okonawduan was still um, featured because it, ugh, I love him so much. But I think he's so hot. But <laughs> like, I don't love it because you didn't really get any glimpses 
of the people who were the most talked about performances from that show. Like that was a moment where everyone was talking about Leslie Odom Jr. and Philippa Sue and Renee Lee Goldsberry. And I know they did like a little bit of the Skyler sisters at the end. Like they knew they were probably going to be able to do that. But like, it, it was like all of the people who you were most interested in, like, had an inverse like correlation to the amount you saw them or heard them speak or sing and that was like a little disappointing to me and I also think something really specific about this show that I'm also going to talk about for a different song is that like I think one of the best parts of Hamilton is that the ensemble is a very significant character of the show and is also one of the the most artfully done parts of the show I think the choreography of that show is really great I wouldn't pick Yorktown as like the best demonstration of that choreography. I actually think a lot of the choreography in Yorktown feels a little rudimentary and like a little high schooly, and like that's what made it feel like a reunion performance because I was like and and that being said, that's a really hard show to do, and I also want to keep in mind that like a lot of those performers were doing this show eight times a week, were on TV all the time, like they were exhausted. And, like, that also might be part of why they chose this. And it was so heavy on Lin-Manuel, also because everyone was talking about him. But I just feel like a lot of the performances in this specific showing of it were kind of casual. And, like, I think that that was a time where it was, like, it was, like, the peak of the peak of the peak of that show, especially that time of the year and, like, there were so many bigger conversations that had to do with themes of the show that were happening at that time. And I wish, like, I think if I could like choose a number that they did, I'd want them to do the act one finale. And I know there's a reason why they probably wouldn't, but I think that would have gotten everything they wanted out of Yorktown. And then all of these things that I'm also talking about. Um, Sorry, I'll take a break. (laughs) So I, I, I'm curious, you know, I, I, I also would have said that nonstop probably would have been the the better Tony performance, but there's an angle here that we haven't really talked about on the pod that I, I am curious what you guys think about, which is that like in many, many ways, this performance actually didn't need to sell tickets and like, the, the like the cultural zeitgeist and the Obamas introducing them and like just the everything around this made it almost like negligible whatever they performed like they 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 could have done like I I think Dear Theodosia would have been a crazy awesome pick for yeah. for this too but there's something to that that like like this song obviously th- this performance has made it really far but it almost it doesn't need to do as much work as say spring awakening does here um sam i'm curious what you have to say because i we haven't heard from you it makes me think about if it doesn't need to sell tickets then what is the marketing for Mm -hmm. right and i and especially up against spring awakening which did very desperately need to sell tickets at this point in time um and was quite successful like this performance was quite successful and getting that house to be pretty packed so with hamilton with tickets that were impossible, nearly impossible to get, right? And this performance happening in 2016, too, to put it out of its vacuum that I have I had previously been speaking about, you know, 
how do I put this? It's the kind of thing where if you have the Obamas introducing and the songs that you are showcasing contain the lyrics that Mariah was talking about, but also the one that stuck out for me was if this means freedom, not yet. Like what kind of political statement was being made? Um, I don't think it's heavy handed, uh, but perhaps because I'm uh, really lefty left when it comes to like heavy handed political messaging and this like Hamilton sits pretty neoliberal, I guess I would say. But if we're talking about performing for a nationwide audience, I think the song choices and the setup have a lot to do with speaking to a particular moment in time. And I think it yeah. does that really well, whether or not I have fond memories of that particular moment in time. So I think we should move to votes. Um, this is a really interesting one. Uh, and and I feel like there's like a whole episode could be dedicated to this like Hamilton moment. Um, there's, a, there's a lot going on there, but let's vote. Do we have to move to votes right now? Not necessarily. I we mean, only uh, have two left, and I just didn't talk about Spring Awakening. That's what we wanted. Oh, okay. I thought I thought it was a deliberate choice not to talk about Spring Awakening. No, um, no, no. Oh, okay. Let's hear it, Mariah. I was just taking a break. <laughs> I have a long list. Um. Well, okay. The last thing I'm going to say about Hamilton that is a transition into my thoughts about Spring Awakening is that I also do feel like part of the reason I was a little disappointed is because there are omissions of things about how the story is told that do not feel but like you watch that and I think you expect a different a completely different show and that could be part of it right like that is a choice but back to I think you're saying Alex of like if it's not for ticket sales what is it like I do wish they had a little bit of nod to the fact that you're watching the story through Burr's eyes and that is being framed and narrated through Burr's perspective. That being said, I think there are a lot of cinematic choices in the Spring Awakening performance that give you little glimpses of like, like the fact that it begins with you see the band, you don't see the performers, that you like get to see the conduct. There are shots that just go back to the conductor doing the show and yeah <laughs> podcast is an audio medium but alex just did an impression impression of the conductor um <laughs> awakening of this, this performance. um and like that thing that sam was talking about of like does it reach through the tv i think that like it does reach through the tv this one even though it's like a little bit of a franken cut and like kind of silly like i think that the messiness of it speaks to the messiness of what that show was that they couldn't necessarily display on tv like it's really irreverent it's really like um well for its time it was really irreverent and it was really like a sort of mix of experiences that we hadn't had yet really in like mainstream theater and i think that like Every episode of Glee was trying to be this one Tony Romano's <laughs> Spring Awakening. And, like, at the end of the day, it's a succinct performance with, like, that thing I was saying of, like, it didn't feel like you could experience, like, Hamilton's beating heart in that moment. Even though this is not my favorite show, I think you experience very much its beating heart in that moment in that year during this performance. 
Yeah, I think you get a lot of the cracked open chaos of it all. And I think that as a core of that show and also as something to bring people to the theater is really, really exciting to me. Um, I do wish, I know it's been talked about before, I do wish they'd been able to do the original lyrics. But what I will say is that the lyric swaps when you know, when it's like a wink to the people who know the show or a wink to people in the room too, like in the actual theater, um, it made me cackle. I kind of <laughs> forgot that the lyric swaps happened. Um, and I will admit, I do watch this Tony performance quite a fair amount <laughs> when I like need to feel happy. Um, <laughs> again, it holds a lot of a lot of really good things for me. Um, and what I will say about those swaps is if you're thinking about um, trying to convince your parents to take you to see a piece of theater and you've seen this Tony Award performance, I do imagine there are some parents who already are on the fence about stuff like that, right? If you're like trying to reach parents and for me those lyric swaps I was like oh what a lore to the theater not only is it wild but it's going to be wilder when you see it buckle up (laughs) and I love the idea of luring some people to the theater and sort of whacking them over the head with something perhaps a bit more blunt or crass or direct um, especially in a musical about what it's like to not communicate and what the ramifications of that non-communication are I think I think we can move to votes. Um, I have a sense where this is going to go. So, uh, Sam, what are your votes? No, can Mariah vote first? <laughs> um, I can go first. I know what I'm going to vote. Mariah can go first. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of surprising myself, but I'm doing three to Spring Awakening and two to Hamilton. Uh, Sam? I had my mind made up and I think this discussion has shifted it. I think I'm giving four to Spring Awakening and one to Hamilton. <gasps> big swings, big swings. Big swings. <laughs> Not the way I thought I was going to swing. It's okay. It's it's all good. Um, these songs nearly tied in the public vote. Um, one, one of them beat the other by one individual vote. Um... It is Spring Awakening. Spring Awakening won 51% to 49%. You guys gave it the majority of your votes. So we will talk about Spring Awakening again next week. It will go up against one of the next two songs. The Color Purple, 2016, and Ragtime, 1998. What say the people? If I'm thinking about the way that I have sort of scored the other matchups thus far and thinking about like what goes through a computer screen or not computer screen, there were TV screens help. Um, what goes through a TV screen and my particular computer screen um, and also what celebrates the show and also what's a wink at like the other people in the room or a wink at people who also make theater I just don't think there's anything like Cynthia Erivo. I think that, like, if we're talking about reaching through a computer screen, the Cynthia, Danielle, Heather trio, I just, I can't, 
I can't make any argument against it. It's so beautiful, like technically, but also the heart that is in all of the all of the performers for that particular performance is just unreal to me. I watched it multiple times in preparation for this. It is not my Sophie's choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will say. (laughs) I there are two things. There are two. I'm, I'm not a mimicker. Okay, I can't really do mimicry. The mimicry I can do is I've memorized two performances. One of them is the complete performance of Legally Blonde from the MTV <laughs> recording that everyone watches on YouTube. And then the other is this specific Tony's performance um, of Color Purple. I think, so we've all said all like all the amazing things about it. I will say that I actually think one of the knocks to the Color Purple performance, even though I'm like, how dare I say this? Um, is that I actually think it is really performer those three performers heavy in a way that actually isn't representative of what the show is right like the 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 sort of ensemble cut like medley franken cut thing they do is like really not what is like sung in the show at all um and is very much to display like, and I mean, this was really heavy, heavy in the marketing of the show at the time. Like we have these three powerhouses and like to their credit, huge powerhouses, amazing would have liked, I think like as much as I love Daniel Brooks's quaking hand <laughs> like in this number and as amazing as Heather Headley voice, Heather Headley's voice is, I think in my like ideal version of this, we would get to see like more of who they really are in the show um, and like more of what their role was there because they did really beautiful work. And I don't think like, I think they're being sort of spotlighted as performers and not necessarily performers in context of what they did for the show, um, which I actually think kind of undercuts the really beautiful ensemble performance that happens in that number in that opening number like we talked about last year um the thing though is like that perf like when we think about a lot of these tony performances we think about like okay what's the best tony performance blah blah blah. this moment i think is one of like top three performance moments we'll remember for cynthia Rebo. like i think even though like part of part of the draw of the Tonys is like we get to watch all these amazing stars like be perfect and blah blah blah. I actually think a lot of even the really experienced performers that the Tonys over sing. Um, and I think that because the sound mixing is like so characteristically awful, you get to hear a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't notice when they're in their own theater or like, you know, catching them on this random Sunday that you wouldn't hear, um, sort of seeing them at their best. And but I think what comes out of her comes out so effortlessly, but so grounded. And like, it's this beautiful moment of like, almost like divinity. (laughs) It really is unreal. And like moment to moment. And like, like when I think about like, who are the best performers, like across this, like individual performances, I'm thinking about Jennifer holiday and dream girls. And I'm thinking about Cynthia Revo in this moment, like, but 
what I will say is like something I've been considering is like, that's a great Tony performance, but I kind of wish they had just done that or done a better medley of the show. Like thinking about it as a whole piece, it's a little like, um, dissynchronous I'm trying to think of the word but it's it's a little bit like mashed together in mm-hmm. a way that I think did not need to happen but they like wanted to happen because they wanted people to see the three people they wanted to see um but that being said like literally flawless performance um as usual I will sing my song of ragtime uh, ragtime is like one of my favorite musicals in the whole world every time I listen to the ragtime opening whether it's alone, whether I'm seeing a live performance, whether it's children, whether it's adults, I weep um, because I think it's such a beautiful show. That being said, I'm extraordinarily biased. Um, But knowing the score really well, I think it's an excellent cut. Um, uh, I think it's an excellent choice um, for the Tonys. I think it's a seamless cut. Like you wouldn't know that that's the whole song, that, that that's not the whole song. Um, and that they do really strong, like when they have to make choices of who's going to say something or who's going to sing something that, that is not actually what's in the score. They make a really smart choice of like who that gets to be like Pate getting to do the, the line that usually is Emma Goldman's that turns us into the bridge. Like I think is a really smart choice. Um, and I think something that it does really beautifully is like. I think sometimes I have issues with Tony performances because they make choices that they are making solely because they are on TV that I think sort of undercuts the integrity of theater. And like, I think, okay, this is the one time I'm going to talk about being an MFA. (laughs) Something I've been thinking about a lot and that I've been talking a lot about is like, okay, like what are the things about theater that, that we don't need to be trying to translate to other mediums in order for theater to survive as like a medium in itself. Cause I think the biggest issues I have with contemporary theater have to do with that. Like theater trying to be TV, the musical theater trying to be popular music, like, and, and understanding like what's so beautiful in and of itself of just being something that gets witnessed by someone else. And that being, the prerequisite of it being theater and it doesn't really have to be anything else. And I think like sometimes people will watch that ragtime performance and be like, it's kind of boring and nothing's really happening and everybody's just sort of singing, but it does not give up the integrity. And this is what I really love about ragtime as a show is it does not surrender anything to trying to be a more successful performance that takes away from its intention and it's period and the specific choices that are being made. And like something that I love is that they have a lot of stars in that performance and that they don't showcase them. And that the one follow along shot we get is like of people in the ensemble and doesn't have to do like with, you know, Audra McDonald or, um, Oh my God, what's his name? What's Brian his name? Stokes Mitchell or Brian Stokes Mitchell or uh, like it, it is really about like painting the picture of what the story is in an incredibly beautiful way. And like how clunky all of those things are. Like I, I love ragtime. I could talk about it forever, but like 
that is something that I really love about Ragtime is it does not give up the integrity of the story that it's telling to sell a ticket. And I actually think that's what makes it a really cool Tony performance is it doesn't surrender anything for being on TV. Yeah, I will say that watching this Ragtime performance felt like celebrating theater um, in a way where I I have the perspective of watching this and and then immediately thinking, what would it be like to sit, you know, eight rows back center orchestra? Right. Like that's the emotional impact I get from watching something like that. But if I think about people who aren't already um, aware of what that experience could be, I think it's harder to pull people into this particular show. Um, And I mean, this with no vitriol at all. I think this performance, a lot of people would watch it. People who like aren't quote unquote theater people would watch it and be like, yeah, that's so musical theater. And they can bring whatever emotion they already feel about musical theater to that statement. Like that statement can be said with a a very many different emotional (laughs) groundings underneath it. Um, And I think people would then watch that performance and not necessarily want to know more about what the story is because it's not like a I don't know maybe that's not even I'm I'm thinking in a draft right now I'm thinking in a draft of a of an idea so maybe that's not helpful for this moment um no it's, I it's, do love all it. thoughts are drafts it's, of ideas <laughs> wow thank you so much um, you watch it and you're like wow we're not playing at a camera we are just doing these beautiful sweeping movements across the stage that in person would be so beautiful. And because I can put myself there in person, in my mind, I think it's a little different. So I kind of want to move to votes here. Um, just to, to know, one thing that's interesting is that the the ragtime uh production like the the camera work around it is very like dynamic and very interesting and there's like this one shot like where we where we're inside the ensemble and Mm -hmm. and it occurs to me that like a lot of performances since 1998 like fail to take advantage of some of those things you can do with television cameras Mm -hmm. um like i think i think about the spring awakening one which i think is like a really good example of what you can do with the the editing and and where the cameras are positioned and the shots that you get so i I just think it's very interesting um but we're gonna move to votes sam mariah have you done it have you fully swapped my brain (laughs) i love when people say that on the podcast Do what your heart says. No, my heart is so torn. I am a Gemini. It's never in one place. <laughs> so true, best. <laughs> oh, I feel like no matter how I vote, I'm gonna upset people. So it just shouldn't matter. Um, if I'm voting for me and only me, I'm giving three to the color purple and two to ragtime. And Mariah, what are you doing? Here's the thing. I don't know where I really land. So I'm going to leave it up to the people by making it even. And I'm going to give three to Ragtime and two to Color Purple. With Okay, literally don't dox me. I, I would vote either way happily. And so I'm, give, I'm making this equal so it goes to you, people. That comforts me deeply. You know, <laughs> not about us. So... 
the uh, the people decide in this one, as you guys have tied. Um, this one was not particularly close. The color Ooh. purple won this one seventy to thirty percent. Yeah, um, it, I figured <laughs> it it did a pretty good job. I I got some some pretty interesting reactions from people after last week's uh, podcast that. Ragtime was making it way too far. Uh, I disagree, but I think the the public has has shown, you know, this is the end of Ragtime's road. Um, I do think last week I would have picked Once on This Island over Ragtime. I was thinking about that. But then what would have happened this week? Who knows? Um, That would have been a horrible, horrible (laughs) week for me. Terrible. Okay. My so. So So, we have a final four. On the left side, we have Dreamgirls, 1982, versus Fun Home, 2015. On the right side, we have Spring Awakening, 2007, versus The Color Purple, 2016. Sick. This this, this is not the, the final four that I actually guessed, but there were like nine songs I thought could have been in the final four, and these four were definitely were definitely four of them. Um, wow! Oh my God! What a thrill! Now now's <laughs> our opportunity to uh, for for our guest judges to plug whatever they want to plug. Um, so uh, Sam, hit us. What do you got? Um, wow! I have a lot of things I can't say yet, which is the world's most annoying answer. Um, no, it make it gives you mystery. It it makes people want to follow up and be like, "What is it?" Cool, I love that. Um, I think the easiest way is to follow my Instagram. I hate the words coming out of my mouth. Um, like I'm some sort of bizarre theater influencer. I am not. I am a playwright. Um, my Instagram handle is Sam Writes Plays, and you can get a snapshot of my life personal and professional as it sort of moves forward. I know I'll have a reading of a play coming up in May, but I can't say anything other than that yet. Are, are not playwrights the ultimate theater influencers? Wow. My ego grew seven yeah. times that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mariah, do you have anything? Yeah. So I do have, um, I have a boyfriend. He has this like podcast and he's, you know, the podcast is actually really good and it's never had merch before. Um, but, but this year he, he rebranded, he rebranded completely. And there's actually a, a, a store on his website oh, with, um, with uh, stickers, with stickers and, and they're only $5. And um if anyone buys them, they'll get a special. They'll get a special little um, letter from me. Also, I'll, I'll I'll say that right now. They'll get a special little letter from me. Maybe it'll be, maybe we'll get a secret. Maybe I'll insult you. Maybe maybe I'll put it even a little gift inside, a little extra special gift. Who knows? Um, but they're only five dollars plus shipping. But they're stickers, so they're really light and. Um, yeah, if you guys if you guys could just buy some, it it would really help us help us out our 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 dog our our daughter she's starving and we need a way to feed her so please please buy these stickers. Um, if you buy a sticker, I'll write you a monologue. 
Ooh, wait, that's Whoa. good actually. Whoa. I got the sticker. I'll just pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Oh, that'd be sick. Um, we had a fun. That's why I said it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just write you a monologue. That's actually a very interesting idea. But okay, anyway. Um, wow. Okay, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Mariah. Eight songs have become four. Four songs will become two, and two songs will become one in the next few weeks. So listeners, keep voting, keep listening, and... uh, Have a great week, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I guess.